in my eyes, and for all I know, maybe my eyes alone, it's not about owners versus players. It's about creating a fair system. And that, of course, can improve as it relates to the players in one area in particular. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. I'm going to try to keep the nuts and bolts of this as simplistic as possible. When a player is called up to the major leagues, that is when their service time clock starts ticking. It's not any more complicated than that. When you come up, and from there, every day that you spend in the majors counts toward your service time. And once you have accrued six full years, you can become a free agent. So what teams like to do is when they have somebody who they know is going to be with them, who's a stud prospect, they will delay the promotion of that player by a couple of months. You'll see them come up in like late May or even early June for two reasons. One, the clock starts later, so they keep the player for a longer period. And two, there's a qualification known as Super 2 in which they have to allow the player to become eligible for arbitration after his second year as opposed to his third year, and thus, by waiting a couple of months, they can save themselves a bunch of money three years down the line. All right, is that clear for anybody who didn't get it? Once more, six full years, and you're a free agent. Additionally, if you come up with a couple months already into a season, there's a really good chance a team will be able to avoid paying you extra in your third year. Okay, that's that. This portion of the current economic system is terribly unfair, not only to the players, but also to the fans. And that's wrong. Baseball is the only sport that punishes young players for being good. And that's exactly what this is. It doesn't make any sense. There have been lots of prominent examples around baseball of prospects who very clearly were ready to compete in the majors, but were held down. Among the more prominent, maybe the most prominent of late, was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., coming out of the Blue Jays system. Everyone could see what Vlad's kid was doing. Everyone could see it had translate right away in Toronto. And yet the Jays did what every other team would do. The Jays weren't exactly standing out here. This trait is one of the very few that the, the poor teams and the rich teams have in common. You'll even see the Dodgers do this. As a result, the players are robbed of time in the majors, and the fans are robbed of seeing those players 
in the majors or seeing what are going to be great careers maybe be even a little bit greater. So for every Juan Soto who does make it up right off the bat, for every Fernando Tatis, there are hundreds who are held back. And again, if you compare that to the NFL and the NHL, you won't find a similar situation. When someone's ready, even in football, when someone's ready, they'll be playing at the level where they belong. So how do you fix this? And how do you disincentivize teams who 100% control this process from abusing it like this? This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Maybe the best recent example within the Pirates themselves of a player being held back was that of Josh Bell. And I can tell you now that JB is in another system, he's of course with Washington, that he, his dad, his representatives, and everyone else were livid that the Neil Huntington front office held him down for what they thought was way longer than was necessary. Because what also can happen when a player is held back is that player can become demoralized, dispirited, and as a result, their production will slip and the player being stuck in the minors becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, we told you he wasn't ready. See? To repeat, everyone, everyone does this. And I don't point out Huntington here as if he's different from Ben Charrington or any other GM currently in the majors. Everyone's doing this. On one hand, and this is not to defend the practice or to support it in any way, but to attempt to explain it, what teams, especially like the Pirates, who are at an economic disadvantage, will try to achieve here is, listen, we're going to get six years of this player. We're going to twist this so that it's the best six years of this player. In other words, we could bring up some super stud prospect at age 21. We could do that. And we would get the years 21 through 27 ages of this individual player. But will those be his best years? What does the data say? What does precedent say? Well, precedent tells you that the best years of a player's career, if you had to make it a six-year window, tend to be somewhere from 23 to 24 on up to 29 through 30. Somewhere like that. Let's say 24 to 30. So if the Pirates are trying to fight the system, then you can say, well, go right ahead. You should get the six best years and let the Yankees and everyone else have his retread years once he's gone through free agency. You can do that. 
but I still think it's really lousy. I think it's lousy for the Pirates. I really do. I think when a player is ready to make it to the majors and make an impact, a real impact, not just be better than who you have at a certain position. That's a point I make all the time. Bring up a player when they're ready, not whenever they're the top of your uh, talent depth chart. But how do the Pirates gain from having that player up at age 21 or 22? Those of you who go back will remember what it was like when Aramis Ramirez and before that Jose Guillen came up, both of them as teenagers. Many of us who were regulars at Three River Stadium knew that those players were doing things that were exceptional and could immediately contribute at the major league level and didn't really look all that far off. Ramirez, you'll recall, came up initially and had that 0-for-21 stretch to start out, and the crowd got behind him, and he got his first big league hit. A little bit of a slow start, but it didn't take long for Rammer to start doing his thing. The same went for Jose. A little bit more troubled and certainly not as accomplished a career as Ramirez but he was a part of the 1997 Freak Show, and he contributed, and it was part of the excitement. And the excitement itself, this is something I talk about on here a lot, the excitement itself can be beneficial. It can course through your system. It can make people on the inside, meaning the instructors, meaning the prospects themselves, believe more in what you're doing, see more of a light at the end of the tunnel, as opposed to watching someone like a Josh Bell languishing in AAA. I wish more teams would value that. I do not expect that they will. I do not expect that the Pirates will. And in turn... I do hope that the players win some kind of assurance, some kind of system that prevents this sort of activity in the future. When we come back, just one question. Today's comes from Mike Schaefer, who asks, Boy, is this a good question. Do you think that Brian Hayes' defensive prowess will help O'Neill Cruz stick at shortstop? I swear, as much time as I spend thinking about and projecting this franchise's future, because when covering this team more than any other that I cover, it's the future that's always got to be your focus, at least until it isn't, maybe someday, who knows, we'll see. I've never thought of this. And it's a great point to bring up, and it's one of the many reasons why I really value the J1Q feature to these podcasts, because I'm not going to think of half of everything. I'm just not. But if other people are participating and other people are doing that thinking for me, maybe we can get a good discussion going. Yeah, yeah, I could see what you're saying. Absolutely. I could see Hayes with his range, with his awareness, with his ability to cut off high bouncers before they make it 
to shortstop or deep shortstop or out in the hole at shortstop, I could see him simplifying the process for anyone who's playing next to him, not just Cruz. But I also want you to know that at least based on discussions that I've had with scouts, with evaluators, and what I've seen of Cruz with my own eyes, he really doesn't need that much. I have a feeling we're all kind of hamstringing him to an unnecessary extent. Yes, he's a six foot seven shortstop. Yes, that's unusual. But Troy Tulowitzki was six four. Cal Ripken was six three. Uh, this is where the shortstop position has been going for a while. Players are taller, bigger, longer. Humans are taller, bigger, longer. It was inevitable that there was going to be a shortstop of this size at some point. What matters way, way, way more is whether or not Cruz can move with good enough coordination to make that an actual advantage. One of the crazy things about watching Cruz, and I'm talking about even in routine uh, infield sessions, you know, just coaches batting balls out there, is that you forget how tall he is after the second or third grounder. You really do. And he is a striking sight. I'm not minimizing that. I'm talking about in life, just walking around the cage. But once he's out at the position and you see him getting underneath the ball and you see that rocket arm and it's the strongest arm in the system, maybe even including all of the pitchers. And that's not without precedent for a position player, by the way. Starling Marte had that while he was in Pittsburgh. And then you see Cruz's fluidity in going to his left and going to his right, and you see, and by the way, this is something that scouts will mention a lot, that it takes him maybe a step and a half to get somewhere where it'll take someone else two steps or two steps and change. So his range, even though it might not look the way you're used to seeing, let's say, Jack Wilson go into the hole, he's getting there regardless. It just doesn't take as much. My general stance on Cruz at short is that you leave him there until he proves he can't be there. Because if he can hit, and he can hit for power, which, by the way, he can do in his sleep, and he can do that out of the shortstop position, you're opening up yourself for some real pluses in the lineup by putting bats in more traditional power bat slots onto the field. But key being at third base, yes, yes, it helps. It helps anyone, but your team is in a much better spot if he's helping someone who's a big bat as opposed to helping Kevin Newman. Do you see what I'm saying? Like He's going to be a benefit to Newman, too. As solid as Newman is, Newman doesn't have the world's greatest range. He's sound but you're still helping, like what, a 210 bat 
to stay in the field, that's not doing anything for you. If you can help this player and his bat stay right there where he wants to play, where he's most comfortable playing, yes, that is a plus. Great stuff. I really appreciate that. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We will do another one, one last one for the week tomorrow.